0: She is seductive. She is passionate. She is possessive. She is pure. Evil. She is Christine. A 1958 Plymouth Fury possessed by hell her previous owner is not alive to warn her present one, once she lures you behind the wheel, you will be hers, body and soul. There is no place you can hide, no place you can run, and nothing you can do can stop her. Because how do you kill something that can't possibly be alive?
1: To speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent, here with Kevin, Kat, and the Grammy Award-winning Dave Gutter.
2: Woo! Woo! Yay! Yay!
1: Dave won a Grammy. Yay!
3: Indeed, I did, for a song about the city of New Orleans, performed by Aaron Neville. And it was about, like, the history of the music going way back, and, like, uh, the indigenous people from Nolens. And, uh, you know, I think it's pretty uh, steeped in... Uh, Ritual and folklore and it kind of ties a little bit into what we do here I learned some really interesting things
1: in the process of uh, writing the song and seeing the movie We haven't been in here since we watched Dave at the Grammy Awards Mm -hmm. Go up to the stage with the group on behalf of Aaron Neville and Dirty Dozen Brass Band One of the most exciting moments of my life I felt it took a good a good 24 hours. I felt like I won a Grammy I was, going, I, was walking into the, I was going to the convenience store like, oh, didn't you hear we won a motherfucking Grammy? I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. We just won a fucking Grammy. Okay. I was
3: like that when I was nominated. I got nominated. I, I like went to the store to buy cigarettes. and so He's like, how are you today? I'm good. I'm actually really good. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I'm actually really, really good. Oh, why is that? Oh, I, I I play music and I, I write music and I was nominated for a Grammy. You know, just like drop it into any situation yeah. I could. But it was cool coming back. You know, it's, it was a long time coming, so it felt really good. And everyone was like crying. It was really <laughs> it was really funny that uh, people I, I would see at like the grocery store would start crying like, "Oh, I'm so glad you won a Grammy," and I would start crying too. And oh. it, was, it
1: felt really emotional and good. But back to killing things, mm. I've cried tears <laughs> of joy for the first time in my life when Dave won a Grammy. I don't think I've, I mean, I don't think I've ever had an occasion where I was so happy that I cried.
3: Oh, uh, I'm gonna cry right now. It was powerful.
0: Yeah, I think one of my favorite moments was um, stopping in here randomly I just happened to be coming by from like a work thing and I had to come by the space and Dave was here. And it's the, uh, you were coming off of like so many press things that you've been doing. Uh, and I just showed up. You're wearing a tuxedo from yeah, the from you, you the were. <laughs> <laughs> and your And your, your car was here and just the hug that we got to share, the tears. Uh, I'm just, I'm so fucking proud. Well, thanks. It's a long time coming.
1: I wish it was for podcasting. I know, me <laughs> too.
2: Listen, I feel like by proxy, we also are Grammy winners. I think so.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm, we're, we're not, it. I'm sharing it with Aaron. Yeah, so I, I think I mean, we like, need to
0: figure out like what are the, like, the podcasting version of the Grammys. Like That's where we need to get to.
1: Hmm. We're a Grammy-associated podcast. Yes, that's a good way to put it. Yes. We have Grammy winners on the show every week. Every, every week. week. <laughs> 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 we're
2: Grammy-winning-adjacent. Uh,
1: I would say. Kat, what prompted the Stephen King adaptation week?
2: I got a really bad stomach bug. I was very sick. And I watched a little film called Christine on cable. And I was like, oh shit, Christine, I remember this one. And then I was like, it's my week. Let's keep it going. What's another another Stephen King film? Oh, Cujo? All right. So yeah, I just thought, you know, it'd be a nice light week. I haven't seen you guys in... Um, it's been a while. Feels like forever. Yeah. So I thought, let's ease into it. Let's forget yeah. about the evil bong. <laughs> let's forget about... Um, <laughs> we starting over. ...the items that you guys made me watch. Let's just watch a nice little uh, Stephen King week. And so
1: I think it worked out pretty well. Yeah, me too. I understand we're uh, going to start with the 1983 film adaptation of Cujo.
2: Ooh, by Lewis Teague. In this tale of a killer canine, man's best friend turns into his worst enemy. When sweet St. Bernard Cujo is bitten by a bat, COVID, he starts behaving oddly (laughs) and becomes very aggressive. As Cujo morphs into a dangerous beast, he goes on a rampage in a small town. Stay-at-home mom Donna gets caught in Cujo's crosshairs on a fateful errand with her son. Stuck in their tiny, broken-down car, the two have a frightening showdown with the crazed animal. I had a lot of fun this week. Just, you know, some classic Stephen King stories brought to life in all their 1983 glory. Cujo was fun. I don't think I'd honestly ever watched it completely all the way through. I think I tried to watch it when I was a tiny babe on, on cable and quickly realized that hey, this probably wasn't for me at that age. I thought there would be more rabid dog earlier in the film. I feel like it's like a good like halfway, like forty minutes until we get into like the full a lot of setup. The yeah, book yeah, is yeah. the same way. Yeah, yeah. that's I assumed um, I have not read it, but I assume that probably most of the other people in this room had. Not that there wasn't a, once you know, once it hit that spot, there was a lot of rabid dog. A lot of gross, bloody Sl- sloppy dog um, running around. But a lot of focus on that backstory of the family and, and whatnot, which I think was necessary because, you know, as much as I would like to see a grumpy dog for an hour and a half, it'd probably get kind of old pretty quickly. So I think it kind of made sense that they saved the meat and potatoes, you know, for the second half when it really picks up. And it makes sense that, you know, it was a book. So you kind of need some plot instead of just describing a rabid dog for however many pages. I wouldn't say it was like an action-packed thriller, but it was solid. Definitely suspenseful, you know, once it picked up and like the mom and son, you know, got to the farmhouse and all that stuff started. I liked that it was all wrapped up all neat with a little bow. Just a classic little flick I'm really excited about uh, about this week, and it was uh, it was a good one.
0: Yeah, this is one cat. I probably never would have gone back and watched this movie if you hadn't picked it. And this is one that I probably saw like when I was definitely too young to see it and had never gone back and seen. So, all I remember is oh my god, mom and son trapped in a car with a dog trying to attack them. And I I was raised by a single mom. And for much of my life, before my, my brother and sisters came about, it was just us. And I think that really, like, that stayed with me a lot. And Cujo, those scenes that I'm talking about, like, you mentioned, like, back half of the movie. I assume that Cujo was like, just like, okay, two hours of watching somebody trapped in a car. But I... Can't believe how good this movie is, as well as it is done as well as it is. Both of the movies we're going to talk about have like a little bit of like TV editing element that's a little Mm -hmm. bit like jarring, a little weird. But all of the moments that, that made me feel something about Cujo, they hold up, they're really good, and we can't. We can't talk about Kujo without talking about Dee Wallace. What a performance that she gives. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that I took away, you know, Dave, you and I as parents, there's some scenes in there where she just has like really visceral responses to her kid. And then even Trent, Cat, you know, as people that have parents, you can feel like how visceral that is, like mm-hmm. those responses that she gives to her kids. So... I think this one holds up like way better than I thought it would. Like when you said Cujo and Christine, I was like, okay, I know Christine's going to hold up. Like mm-hmm. I've watched that recently, but I was like, Cujo probably going to fall short. It's probably going to be like part of like, you know, the King uh, adaptations that were just like being churned out, you know, in a mill somewhere. Yeah. But it, it totally holds up like dog, car, sweat, mm-hmm. blood. Like it, it's just there. I, I loved it. Great summer I film. loved it. Thank you for making me watch this again. You're so welcome.
3: Yeah, I actually thought the opposite. I had watched Cujo recently and really liked it um, and got to watch it again. Um, but I had thought that Christine, to me, I couldn't really picture how that could be scary at all, and I didn't remember that one at all. But um, to me, this is the story of a mother and son that dehydrate in a hot car <laughs> while a sick dog kills the bad guys. <laughs>
0: Um, yeah, 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 yes. You you do find yourself rooting for the dog at times. Mm-hmm.
3: Sick dog cries for help. Um, <laughs> I mean, I didn't even drink water until I was like thirty. How did this kid dry up so fast? Like, <laughs> he's like immediately just dehydrating. Listen, hot
1: hot cars are dangerous. Let's not. Yeah, it, it could take, n- in no time at all, the internal temperature of that car is up over 100 degrees. I think this is
3: a message uh, to a- the people out there that lock their dogs in hot cars or their their kids or whatever. I loved all the acting. Uh, I thought Donna and Tad both did a great job of being terrorized. I think this is the grittiest, like most honest and modest King adaptation. It doesn't have any like supernatural mumbo-jumbo, just blood, suspense, dog wrestling. But I I do like this for that. It has kind of like this cloudy, notch above, made-for-TV movie look. It it also had the storyline is a little like soap opera kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. But I do really love this movie. And I read that, Stephen King has no memory of writing this yeah, story.
1: I, I, I read that too because he was so <laughs> not, messed up on he, was not drinking, the only, he blames it on
3: cocaine. Not his only book. But, like, not the only book. Yeah, there's I, others. Like, I don't think he, it's the only uh, uh, drug either, because I mean only cocaine, I I think you'd be able to recite the whole book.
1: I think um, he I think he drank all day, smoked yeah. weed, and did cocaine. Like he was he had a whole regiment.
0: He also this is also one like classic king where he Allegedly had input on the script and then didn't take credit for it because mm-hmm. he couldn't remember doing so.
1: <laughs> I absolutely love this one. I haven't seen this in many, many years, long, long time ago. I read the book when I was in like seventh grade and I didn't like it because of. What you were saying, Kat, like I didn't... At that age, I was reading Pet Cemetery, and the more supernatural ones and I was just getting into Stephen King and I had read Salem's Lot and The Shining and stuff and I was like, oh, this is just like a soap opera, like you said, Kevin. Uh, I, this isn't really interesting to my seventh grade mind. I am looking for more than a bunch of, um, you know, the, the soap opera family stuff. But this is... I, I mean, I think this is one of the best Stephen King adaptations, period. I think this is one of the best films... Right up to, uh, I think it was one of the best before Misery. This is really, really good. I think it looks amazing. I, I love how it looks. Uh, even there's like, there's gold, a lot of golden hour stuff and sunrise shots outside. It just looks beautiful. Dee Wallace, the legend. I didn't really know who she was the first time I saw this. I didn't realize she was in The Mom in E.T. She's in The Howling, The Hills Have Eyes, Critters, Frighteners. Um, she was in the mm. 07 Halloween she's done some Rob Zombie stuff she was in the Munsters last year uh, not that I saw that but um, the Rob uh, Zombie Munsters unfortunately I saw she's that she's amazing in this the kid is amazing in this Yep. I-, I thought this was like harrowing I was on the edge of my seat I loved the whole backstory it didn't bother me at all the, the... <laughs> once it gets going <laughs> it's Jaws. It's Jaws on four legs, and oh, they even yep. they even allude to that in the film where the kid's doing like little Jaws thing at the table. I mean, it's so so openly um, a, a a canine version of Jaws, a land loving Jaws. Great, great, great. I I was so happy, Cat, that you reintroduced me to this movie. And I don't people don't talk about Cujo very much. I even I was so excited when I finished watching this. I searched it on Twitter. To see what all my uh, film tweeps think about Kuja, Hardly anyone ever mentions it. Great one. Unsung unsung king adaptation. Mm. King of Kings. I
2: was curious though, is it just rabies? What made Yeah, rabies? Ku- that's it. That's it. it so kind any zombie
0: ish though. You I was gonna mean? say, no, I it's... feel like
2: it was a souped up
0: rabies. <laughs> right? No, it's, ver- it's it was very it's very like like Trent and Dave, it's very simple. King isn't usually this simple, yeah, well, and he was just simple. saying what happened, what would happen if a dog got rabies just th- and this you is were probably... trapped in a Ford Pinto, which <laughs> that in its in and of itself is a joke if <laughs> we, yeah. if we were to go through if the, novels, the dog had just like run into the back of the car, it would have <laughs> just exploded
2: yeah
1: and if, if we were to go down through all Stephen King's novels. I don't think there would be very many that have no supernatural element. This novel has supernatural. It has like a, almost like a, it alludes to a
3: demon. Uh, so it's a demon I, bat? It does. I don't think so. There's like a thing in the closet it it no this is like a super the, uh, the uh, novel does oh.
0: tie into like the dead zone and king is pulling in like part of his like king universe yeah but the thing
1: yeah but it's not the thing in the the thing in the closet is just like imagination that's yeah just a foreshadow of the the unspoken the the family discord that that's going okay. on that that's kind of like a, but, and he's he wrote the boogeyman before this but it's not Nothing supernatural happens in the book either.
0: No, but isn't it that the serial killer from the Dead Zone is supposed to be possessing Kuja? Uh what? in the, in the novel?
1: What? Yeah, like a Chucky kind of I was just situation. I like, I don't
0: yeah. rem- I don't remember that.
1: It was a long time ago. Yeah, there's so a serial uh, there's I a haven't serial read killer. the book,
0: so this is just like what i been reading. Has anyone else read the
1: book except for me? A long time ago. I don't I have long long time time not
0: one of his books that I've read.
1: I don't remember any possession of the of the dog. But I could be wrong. We'll See, have to so you're telling me? Let us know that Calvin
2: should Calvin get bit by a bat? Yeah. he could go cujo on us. Could,
1: could. I'd like time. to see
2: that. I'd like to see that. That's why he's honest.
1: only he's only ten pounds. I'd be fine, Dave. You might be in trouble <laughs> With if Tara so. got rabies. Yeah, you might find yourself in a similar situation as uh, in this movie. Mm. I would just help my
3: dog. No one's helping this dog at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's like freaking out.
2: I think the only way to help
1: him is. Well, we we talked about the director Louis Teague. He he directed Cat's Eye. We talked about yeah. that oh. one not long ago. He also directed Alligator. Alligator b- before this, so that was kind of like he, I feel like that was practice. And for... Jewel of the Nile. Yeah.
3: <laughs> well, they, what? Remember the opening of Cat's Eye has the uh, the Cujo chases yes. the cat out the
1: yes the oh, pet door yeah. right in the beginning, and then Christine. Slams on its brakes
3: and That's almost right. hits. Yep.
1: Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. Teague also directed a movie we talked about when we talked about Cat's Eye, and I just want to remind everyone about the 1992 film called T-Bone and Weasel, starring Gregory Hines uh, I can and another guy. I can, I
3: can I... with this one. Do yourself a
1: favor. Look, go to YouTube and look up the trailer for T-Bone and Weasel.
2: I don't you'll, want to. You'll I don't thank think. me.
1: It's great. It's like a, a not early '90s. It's, it looks like an '80s. So like a buddy, like, buddy, buddy, buddy yeah. a buddy cop situation. But it's T-Bone and Weasel with just an N. Oh, mm. the other guy's name is Weasel.
2: Yeah, that sounds fun.
1: I have no idea <laughs> what you're talking about. We talked about. about this, you know, this uh, a Teague movie. It was this last? Well, I don't know if it was last, but
0: '92. Sun mm. Classic Pictures. Who is? They're one of the. Uh, Film production companies that did the OG Cujo, they had put out that they were going to make a sequel called Cujo.
1: But but like Chud, right? Like with
0: yeah, it was going to be called Canine Unit Joint Operations. <laughs>
3: Shut up! Ah, that's amazing. I, that I think, so think bad. the
0: best thing ever is that nothing has ever come out of that.
3: Oh, I'm
1: making it.
0: <laughs> that sounds amazing. It doesn't need to be remade. This is oh, I think it, it's perfect. I, I think that'd be
1: fun. I'd
0: love to. see I, it I don't think it's so. Pr- every nothing single needs to thing in this
1: is practical. Like every yeah, well, single thing in this movie, yeah, including is practically a guy done. in a dog suit. Which well, I noticed. You know, what Cane
3: Bear comes out this week? I've I have a feeling it's going to be very similar to Cujo.
1: Uh, this is this year is the 40th anniversary of Cujo, mm-hmm. and it's getting a um, it's getting like a, a Blu Ray Deluxe release later this year. So we're we're right on time. There is a um, there is a there's one scene at least with a guy in a dog suit to film this movie. There were uh, four Saint Bernards used.
0: Uh, a number of thirteen, Maca- thirteen Saint Bernards used.
1: Thirteen. Yes. Did what? they kill them all?
0: Well, there one, on. one did die. <gasps> no. The main dog died. No. During the shoot? Yes. Of what? From bloat. Bloat.
1: So a pre-existing condition of some kind.
0: No idea. Probably wow. I mean, I don't I don't have that I don't have that kind of clout, man. I'm
3: suddenly not afraid of rabies. I'm
1: afraid of bloat. <laughs> 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 well, they also used some mechanical dogs and they used at least one uh, Labrador Dane mix that was in a suit they put the dog they had a big dog and they put the dog in a Saint Bernard suit and then they used a guy in a Saint Bernard suit and I (laughs) I didn't know that when I was watching it but I swear I noticed because there's a scene when when Kujo is like half into the car and he's like mauling the mom yeah all of a sudden you see like there's a there's a cut and there's an edit in there all of a sudden, he's really long. He's much longer oh. and bigger than he was. I think that's when they have the guy in the well, suit. Well,
0: a- as I play with Dave's Rottweiler, I would like to point out that um, there are some scenes in the movie where they had to use a Rottweiler because they couldn't get the St. Bernards to be as mean as they wanted them to be.
2: No.
3: Kill the kid. Kill the kid. Kill the kid. The kid. Just you know kill what? the kid. <laughs> a little yeah.
1: disappointing. I think. I believe that was a change from the novel. I don't. I think this one ends yeah. uh, on, a, on a, a little happier note. People would have. I mean,
3: people would have either loved it or hated it. Like I walking liked, out of the theater with the a kid dies just at the very yeah. end. People would probably feel really horrible leaving
0: that movie. The kid dies in the book, right, Trent? He, yeah, I believe. It's <clears throat> my recollection. In the book, that's and the only thing that King I know about regretted book, I that and wanted to change that for the movie.
3: It reminds me of the end of The Mist. It's that same kind of like dismal, like, like oh my mo- god, what just movie? happened? <laughs> yeah, the movie. It's a, like a really shocking moment that King does sometimes in his
1: when he's all cooked up in <laughs> yeah. the middle of the night. That would have been a particularly rude awakening with this movie because the way this movie starts, I thought I was watching like Homeward Bounds, like the Disney Homeward oh, Bound yeah. thing, like the, Rabbit. the Yeah, the, the birds are chirping and the Saint Bernard is lopping. I thought I was like, "Oh, he's going to cross the country with his cat friend or something." <laughs> yeah, and then it gets darker.
0: 6 million dollar budget, 21 million dollar box office, so this made money. Jan DeBont did cinematography. He would go on to direct Speed and uh, Twister, Ooh. which by the way, Twister is a movie that I watched um, almost every night of my life in high school when I would just get stoned and put on either Twister or Babe. Oh. And that's it.
2: Those are two films. (laughs) Yep. That's for sure. Um, You need a movie about
0: a talking tornado. (laughs) 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 And then the the score of this was done by Charles Bornstein, who we know from doing the music for Nightmare on Elm Street 1. So he is the same person responsible for the ding, 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 like the classic, like Freddy.
1: Mm. The score Uh, does a lot in this, I noticed right away. It's really good. It's really good. I couldn't help but while I was watching this, I couldn't help but think of the kid as Gage from Pet Cemetery. Yes, <laughs> it would be, it, it would be funny if this was like a prequel to, <laughs> to Pet Cemetery, and it was the same it was the same kid. He survived trying to be <laughs> killed by his rabbit, uh, uh, Saint Bernard, and then later on, he was embroiled in this whole dead <laughs> pet thing. You know, could have a whole Gage universe, oh. you know, all of all of King's animal.
0: I think that we've missed out on having a king MCU.
1: Yeah, I mean he—he he basically, ha- yeah, he wrote one. This movie has a very slasher ending. I love the very, the very final thing we've talked about—the slashers. How they, you think they're dead, and they, you know, that's the classic thing. How many times is he going to come back to life? Is he really dead? Now they kind of do that in this, and it's so good. I was not expecting that. I thought it was over, and then, oh my god! Yeah, through the window. Ugh. <laughs> Just had me all the way.
3: I did, however, have an issue with the final frame. They just stopped the film. Yeah. When they're standing on the porch. Yeah. The credits roll. It's really an awkward spot to stop. Yeah. I thought that was awkward too.
2: Yeah. I was wondering, like, did they continue it, like, originally, and then they just, like, decided to stop? It's like what Kevin was talking about, where it seemed like there were commercial breaks just, like, throughout it. Like, there were spots where it was like, and commercial would go here. And it's like, why would you do that for a theatrical
1: release? But I wondered that about the end too. I wondered if they if there were further if there was footage after that and maybe you know, sometimes you just have to find a spot to maybe stop. Maybe they
3: fell down the stairs and dropped the kid and he dies after all. <laughs> and they're like,
1: Ooh <laughs>
3: Director's cut. Let's yeah. go. You said that anniversary's coming right up.
1: It's like a podcast, you know. Sometimes you just don't have a perfect stop. Where do you we just, stop? <laughs> maybe you can tell that that wasn't the end, but it just has to stop there, it's right in the middle. You know?
2: Next, we've got John Carpenter's 1983 film, Christine. Unpopular nerd Arnie Cunningham buys a 1958 Plymouth Fury who has been named Christine by her previous and deceased owner. Arnie then develops an unhealthy obsession with the car to the alarm of his jock friend and parents. After his bully defaces Christine, the automobile restores itself to perfect condition and begins hunting and killing off those who tried to destroy it. Determined to stop the deaths, Arnie's BFF and girlfriend must find a way to destroy Christine. I think what really elevated this one for me is that it's fucking John Carpenter behind the wheel. <laughs> which obviously I'm team Carpenter, he's my fave. It's funny to think about the other Stephen King evil machine movie that we've watched, Maximum Overdrive, which was directed by Stephen King and I feel like was much less successful, both probably money-wise, I assume, and also just in general. So I was happy to see Mr. John Carpenter at the helm of this one. It is a King story, but stylistically, definitely Carpenter all the way. The soundtrack slaps. I'm a big fan of of the soundtrack, just right off the bat. You're like, George Thorogood? Okay, (laughs) sign me up. Um, It's beautiful to look at, just like a very aesthetically pleasing film. The practical effects are fucking amazing. I can't wait to hear how many cars they went through for this one uh, from you guys. The story itself is classic and pretty I mean, terrifying anyway. Obviously, King thinks m- machines and cars are are evil uh, in some way, but then Carpenter definitely just took it to the next level. I love the progression of Arnie becoming like the cool guy, and I love me some revenge. I think I'm Team Christine in this one. You know, sometimes you just got to run down some bullies that try to, you know, shake you down, stab you, whatnot. The scene that sticks out to me is when, like, Arnie and his girlfriend are at the drive-in theater and then she, you know, starts choking and then, like, the lights are just, like, blinding, just, like, illuminating, like, in a sea of, like, darkness at the at the movie theater and, like, the radio's blasting and in that moment I was like, okay, this, this is a pretty terrifying movie, even still, like, 40 years later. So it still holds up, fucking still slaps, very glad. I'm just really, you know what, this is, hold on, This is me patting myself (laughs) on
1: the back. That's what that noise was. Kat, I will give you a round of applause. This was a great double feature. I love Christine. Another one I hadn't seen in a million years since I was a kid. Probably, like you said, Kevin, about Cujo. I was not on any path where I would be going back and watching Christine. This isn't one that people talk about, I think, as much with Carpenter, Carpenter himself has said it was a gig, it was a job, he was down and out. The Thing, one of the greatest horror movies of all time, horror sci-fi, whatever you want to call it, at the time, not well received at all. We, we venerate it now, but at the time, The Thing was a huge flop, and everybody was mad at John Carpenter, and he said that basically, he had to take this movie, yeah. he was, he was it, actually- It was a gig, it was a gig supp- yeah, it was a gig. career. He was supposed to direct Firestarter- and he got oh. taken away because the thing was such a bomb wow. that day, that he lost Firestarter, and he said he had to take this movie. He said he didn't think the concept was that scary, which I understand. Um, it, it sounds a little bit like, oh, an evil car. This is classic King inanimate object horror. You yeah. talked about, yep. what if a blender was evil? What? <laughs> what if, that's one of the things he does. What if a light
0: bulb I mean, was these, evil?
1: Yeah. I mean, the mangler, I mean, we can go down through many, yeah. many examples of that. And this is, I think, probably one of his most inspired because it wraps in the whole car culture and the whole 50s thing because the car was made in the 50s. It's like a 57 Plymouth Fury or whatever. And then this takes place in, in 79 so the car has this whole history, but I didn't even mind. It doesn't even matter that everybody tends to run away from Christine in a straight line down the road. You know, like yeah. nobody tries to they're like Just climb a tree. I, you know I mean. They, they, zag, they, do, do, jump.
0: they do jump over like <laughs> different like no, they do everybody. jump over yeah. things some and, people, like, try to get away.
1: Some people try to get away a little harder than others. Others just run in a straight line down the street and then Christine just keeps chasing them. Uh, but that didn't bother me at all. This was just like this is a a classic uh, classic King film adaptation. And the other thing I was thinking about both of these movies this week in overall is that growing up, the popular perception before you had a million and one opinions in your face every day all day, the popular perception that I remember was that the King movies just people kept doing bad ones. Nobody thought that any of these King movies were good and, and it's funny to go back now, I think that just the novels were too popular and too hot and people loved them too much and so you'd go and you'd see this movie and, and a movie can't possibly be a novel and people would just talk about the changes, oh, he changed the end, oh, they, they changed this, they changed that and so the reputation was, was that the King movies aren't being done well and even King himself, when we talked about Maximum Overdrive, he, he says in the trailer that he just wants to do King right even though... He's had John Carpenter, Toby Hooper, Stanley Kubrick, uh, Brian De Palma. He's had David Cronenberg by that point. I mean, everybody's done mm-hmm. a King movie. When you go back now, they're fucking good. Mm-hmm. These are good adaptations. Love this one. Thank you, Kat. Yeah.
3: Well, this is the time where every horror movie got a bad review. Um, True. True. Good point. So, yeah. But I do think it is, in this case, always compared to the books. Um, I think Arnie Cunningham is the man. Revenge of the nerd. Let's go.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> um this movie's like the the lowbrow, like cheeky Stephen King. Uh the you know, they obviously the inanimate object horror, which I love. And I can't really think of too many other uh writers that have much of that. He kinda I feel like that's a thing that he kinda caught on and then they started, you know, making uh killer tomatoes and all all that stuff but we had spoken uh, speaking of vegetables of children of the corn a while a while Ooh. back on the kids episode we were talking about it tonight and i feel like that movie tainted the legacy of king adaptations in the 80s because i i really dislike that but yeah. there's so many monumental 80s adaptations um like dead zone yeah, Carrie. Obviously, The Shining. uh But even we'll like Firestarter. Yeah, I put these. I put this like in the the Firestarter Cujo. Yeah. These are all kind of like around the same time, and stylistically they're a little bit similar. This has like an after school, like the grassy kind of vibe to it. <laughs> but I, yeah, I loved Christine way more than I had remembered. I hadn't really remembered. Uh, ever taking it seriously, and I think uh, Titan made me uh, give the car <laughs> thing a chance. So I was like, oh, "Okay, this is like foreplay for Titan." Yeah, uh. this is
1: this
0: is like MAGA Titan. <laughs> oh god, <laughs> no. this is redneck Titan. No, but yeah, I loved it's it this not. time. Mm. I mean, this is one that I had revisited. Um, I think when we did our King episodes a couple of years ago. Because, you know, we have been going for three years. Long time. It's hard to remember. what. Congrats. We, yeah. yeah uh, congrats and Trent, again. I think, uh, you know, you and I did. What's going on over <laughs> here? <And> you, <laughs> it's you, you it's you just so loud up. opening this game. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Trent, you and I did uh, a Patreon. And I, 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 I almost, I like, I went back through our Patreon because I was like, Trent, I, I swear to God that we talked about Christine. But I think I had just gone back and looked at this. Um, when I was researching like, what we should do for additional King movies, I think we landed on like San Lot. Yeah. We um, didn't talk about that. But I have watched this in recent years and I was shocked at how good it was because I went back and watched this very skeptically, being like, okay, a boy in his car. Yeah. How can this work? Yeah. How can mm. this be scary? But Carpenter killed it, and I want to give a lot of credit to the effects people because there's a scene in the movie where the car gets really fucked up and then mm -hmm. rebuilds itself. So iconic. Iconic scene. It's so good. Yeah. And think about when this movie was made. Like, this movie came out, what, four months after Cujo? Like, yeah. Cujo and Christine came out four months apart from each and, other. And the book, this this started filming a couple months after the book was published. It, was, was, before, oh, it, wow. it was before the book was published. Yeah. This movie really? started filming four months before the book was even out and available. Uh so I mean I think that like you know we could talk about like the oversaturation of King in the horror world and I don't think that's ever gonna end. Like we you could take like think about like Dreamcatcher, just a disaster of a movie <laughs> and and and, a, and kind that's of that's nineties, right? No, no that's that was even like, later. That's like yeah. after he got hit um,
1: uh you're talking about the movie?
0: <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. Um but I was I was so happy like when I went and revisited Christine <laughs> that I was like, and Kat, you're right. This is 100% John Carpenter's take on a king tale mm-hmm. making it just fucking slap. Slaps. It's crazy. Like, it's great. Like a boy in his car. It should not work. But somehow this movie, it, it actually does work. Yeah. And it's, and yeah. it's also an example of, uh, I'm not, I'm not rooting for Arnie at all. In fact, for most of the movie, I'm rooting for Christine. Yeah,
2: Team Christine all yeah. the way. I don't know. There's something about him. I I could take him under my wing. I think you know. I could change him. Arnie, probably. Shitter. Yeah.
1: Arnie Cunningham, as they call <laughs> him in this movie. oh Shitter. Yeah. Well, he, Shitter. He, he was like the. He starts as sympathetic. He he's the yeah. bullied, he's the bullied nerd. He's bullied even by his parents. You know that's his whole story is that he's he's the bullied kid, and so he starts out sympathetic, but then through the the symbiotic possession of, of Christine, he becomes progressively more evil himself and, and less sympathetic. You know through the movie,
0: I will say I, I I would like to know more about the history of Christine. Like what it's just the lyrics possesses. to bad? It's the lyrics to bad to the bone.
3: It's a. That's That's the whole exposition when it starts on the day that it was made, on the day it was born. Like the nurses all gathered round. Those are the mechanics, and they gazed at the wide wonder or whatever.
0: They had well, know.
1: the head nurse spoke up.
0: Right, yeah. She said, "Leave this one alone." That's <laughs> the mechanic. Yeah. Well, this is uh, like this is another movie where like you guys mentioned the soundtrack. Like, how do you get like um like in. In one movie, you get Pledging My Love from Elvis, which is like the first song that Christine plays, but you get Bad at the Bone, you get like Richie Valens, you get uh, The Stones, Beast of Burden, like you get all these songs that like nowadays, that would be like half of your movie budget. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like how did they get these? that, That was
1: my, one of my favorite things about the movie is with those songs is that Christine, Christine turns on her own radio on and off mm-hmm. and she always has it for the most part the bad of the bone is is what's the message up. a little bit different but Christine <laughs> b- 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 bad. she always <laughs> turns on her radio and it's always an oldie you know Richie Valens or whatever it's always like an oldie song and it's frequently a love song or a, a creepy, a song, a love song that sounds like a creepy love song in the context of this evil car saying, you will be mine. And, it's like
3: alluding to what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes yes. like how There's, the death.
1: When when, he's, when, it, when Christine locks someone out of the car while someone's choking, it starts playing, keep on knocking, you can't come in or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. 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 So good. <laughs> I
2: love it. Yeah, but I mean, I guess, did you guys read the book?
0: Anyone? I did not meet Christine, no. no. Well, I have, yeah, I did. I mean, it's been a long time, but yes, I was long probably long. like 11 or 12 years old.
2: Yeah, I'm just, so is it, was it just built with evil parts? Is it like Chucky and it's possessed by an evil spirit? What is it,
1: do you think? It's different in the book and the movie.
2: Is it?
3: Yeah. Yes. Oh. Yes. It's okay. just a bad apple. It's bad to the bone, dude.
1: You say <laughs> bad to the bone one more fucking time. That is, I wonder w- if, if, bad okay. <laughs> Is this... Is this the first scene in a movie? I forgot to find out what year of the song "Bad to the Bone" was released. But oh, eight, this year is this, this the is first? Hot. Is this the first movie or television show to use "Bad to the Bone"? Now one of the most cliche, hackneyed things you could do. But this movie opens up with. It was probably new. I, I don't know. Yeah, I would have I'm to look it up right now. I just think it might be one of the first times. 1982, "Bad to the Bone" came out. Oh, 82. Okay, "Bad okay. to the Bone" was released. So this so was like I a hit. This, I think this would be the probably the first time that the cliche of playing bad to the bone was ever done. Right. So in the in is now I haven't read the book, and you so you have Kevin, so you can correct me. But from my understanding, in this movie, Christine is just made evil, and that's why it shows Christine coming off the assembly line. And right away, Christine is still on the assembly line, kills well, kills one guy, and like almost chops another guy's hand off before she's even off the assembly line. But I understand in the book. She was, like, possessed by
0: the spirit of a, a previous owner or something like that? I think it goes back into, like, the Dead Zone and uh, what I was just talking about in Cujo. Like, I think all of it ties in.
1: To that, to the and killer or whatever they just that he owned decided in
0: Like, from the movie perspectives, they just did not decide to, like, make all of those tie-in.
3: Well, in Maximum Overdrive, wasn't there, like, a uh, meteorite or something that went yeah. over the planet? Yeah. But in this, they just...
0: It's just bad off the
3: assembly line. It just is bad Bad to the the bone.
0: bone.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love when the guy opens the hood, and then, oh, you know it's going to clamp down on him. You know, and then the other guy gets in there and smoking a cigar, and he he gets... You know, when you think... One of the things I thought was funny about this movie, when you think about, okay, it's an evil car, and it murders people, Mm. you don't really think necessarily... By making them choke on food when they're eating in it. That wouldn't, I wouldn't yeah. think that would be one, but that's a method that Christine uses. Christine hates people getting ketchup on the interior. Like <laughs> Don't it. eat in Christine. Mm-hmm. Don't take Christine through the drive-thru because he'll probably, <laughs> probably choke to death.
0: This was a $10 million budget. It made 21 at the box office back in 1983. So, both Cujo and Christine. About the same, right? They were Cujo yeah, was six million well, budget. Yeah. And I mean, made twenty one million. Christine cost more. I'm guessing both, that was Carpenter. A, a little
1: bit more. But both both modest budgets and both modest returns. They both made like double their money.
0: Yeah, and, and, and also just like, you know, Keith Gordon, who plays Arnie, um I think, I think he was amazing. He was in Jaws 2. He was in The Legend of Billy Jean, which is another like 80s movie that I wow, love. I, that yeah. um, I really feel fondly about that. John Stockwell plays Dennis, who is the jock best friend. We know him from Top Gun as well. Do you guys remember him? No. Like, think about Top Gun and John Stockwell right now. Like You'll picture him. I, I, he was, not. okay, all right, or maybe not. Um, but he would go on to direct, like, <laughs> Touristas. Do you guys remember that? Yeah. Maybe? Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Like, early 2000s, yeah. like um, sort of like torture porn I movie. saw, yeah, Ooh. I
1: remember it being terrible, but I...
0: Blumhouse is talking now about potentially doing a remake of Christine. They should. I'd love to see a remake uh, of With this. Brian Fuller writing it, which I'm not that pumped about. Um, What's he done? He already wrote, like, a 2000... 2000- the 2002 remake of Carrie, which was... Oh, not great. Not great. Um,
2: I don't know. If I were going to pick between this one and Cujo to get remade, I feel like this is... I feel like I'd go with this one. I don't know. I mean, I think
0: that Carpenter nailed this one. Yeah. I don't know how you do Christine better than what Carpenter did here.
2: I don't think it could be better. I just think it could.
1: I would watch it. I just think it would be fun to have an update, to have... To have someone else do it again. I mean, Carpenter did nail it, but he was also on autopilot. Self-admittedly, this isn't a project that he takes any pride in. He said he was working. There's a couple, few iconic car scenes in this when it regenerates itself after it's been vandalized by the most middle-aged bully we've ever probably seen. <laughs> yes. Guys, I was like, he's in high school. That guy's <laughs> my age. Yeah, that's, <laughs> Ryan, that's Ronnie
3: James Dio. Get out of here.
1: Yeah, <laughs>
2: he looked, he's too tall. He looks so
1: familiar. I thought he was a legendary '80s middle-aged. Bad kid, but he—he's—I don't. There's no information. I didn't find anything on the guy. I don't think he did that much. But when, once the car has been vandalized, the most thorough vandalizing of any car that's ever been done. I mean, in my day, if you got into trouble with somebody, they might bust out your taillights, or they might slash your tires, or something like that. Find you at the potato fields and kick in the headlight on your car, or something like that. Potato they just fields. totally demolished the car, and then it. There's that amazing scene where it pops itself back out. That was done using rubber models of the car. They made rubber models and oh. they filmed it sucking itself in. They sucked in the rubber. And then reversed it. And then yeah, yeah it's yeah. so You can't good. tell. So I thought
2: good. Th- it looks that's why amazing. I assume they just fucking destroyed like five cars.
1: Well, they for this probably movie. did, but then that the part where but it regenerates that was, itself. They just push it back out? Yeah. So good. It looks amazing when that happens. I was, I was like, yeah. yes. That's that's the
2: that's the moment for me. That's when I was like, "Yep, slaps."
0: I also wanted to look up like, why do they call cars "her"? Like that's an, saying, old, like, an she, old, thing. Yeah,
2: because they're your possession, man. Yeah, like women, that's why, man. That's
1: why. A lot of inanimate objects are called "her," same as boats, same as even people call like baseballs or She is out of here, you know. It's a very it, it comes it comes from sailing,
0: so like boats.
1: Well, you it comes from t- yeah. I mean, people use it. Stop. People use um, she to refer to boats, but it's the reason why the boat is a she and not a he is because a she is traditionally something that you're trying to n- control. You're yeah. trying to make her do what you want her to do. That's that's why the Latin origin, me, Christinicus.
0: Get out of here! No, it, it comes from sailing. Okay, it comes sailing. from yeah. sailing, and they would say that their like friendly ships were she and Enemy Ships Were He. Oh, Enemy
1: Ships Were Interesting. He. Interesting. Because oh. men because are tough.
0: Christino, then. I mean, maybe.
1: <laughs> or Christopher,
2: maybe?
3: <laughs>
1: oh, yeah, Chris. Might be the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cristino. So, I thought the, um, the jock friend in this reminded me the whole time I was thinking, this is a role for Kevin Bacon. He kind of looks like Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon went up, he auditioned for this role, it turns what? out, and he uh, took Footloose. Instead, bad Good
0: bad call. idea. So, no, great call. Just kidding. Kevin Bacon King? at home.
1: This was a, produced by the same guy who produced the Salem's Lot. Was it Richard Corbett's? Is his name the producer's name? He's the same guy that produced the Salem's Lot, um, the Toby Hooper Salem's Lot two part miniseries. And he was getting manuscripts from King. The reason that it came, they, they were able to do it so fast, is that King had sent him after that, sent him the manuscript for not only Christine but also Cujo. And he decided that he wanted to. Uh, he decided he wanted to make Christine Richard Corbett's mm.
0: Darnell. The
1: uh, oh my god, so good! I love that guy.
0: He's the guy that owns the garage where Arnie ends up bringing Christine and fixing her up. That is Robert Roski, uh, R.I.P. His death. This is why I think that we're. This is the only time I think we don't root for Christine is when Darnell. Gets it. Mm. Otherwise, I think that you are actually rooting for Christine for the entire movie.
1: Uh, we should talk about the shitter. Thing. I was just thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> if you, if you watch fit in the room, <laughs> movie, you're going to notice that everybody keeps saying, they, they keep calling people shitters as an insult. Like, you shitter. What a shitter. Well, these shitters aren't going to tell me what to do. I, there's enough shitters around here. And I think we all, while we watched it, were wondering why they keep saying shitter. I know this is. No, 83, but it's not that long ago. I don't remember Shitter being a thing because apparently this movie had so many F-bombs in it that they had to change uh, from the the slur to Shitter. So every time you hear Shitter in this movie, which is so many times, Mm -hmm. all those other times were the F-slur. I thought it was on purpose. I thought Stephen King just wrote Shitter. He just had a
3: community of people you know, maybe, you know, sometimes they pick up little words bangor. like that. Yeah, yeah. bangor. Yeah, <laughs> <exactly>. <laughs> they might say shitter.
2: Yeah, I didn't notice until you said something when you got here. I was like, oh, that makes a lot more sense.
1: I didn't notice their mouths not lining up on Me that. Me neither, yeah. Um, this movie contains, I think, one of the uh, sexiest Heimlich maneuvers ever. Mm. When they're at the drive-in and it's raining, and Christine, once again, is, is forcing someone to choke on their food. And the guy runs up and starts giving her the Heimlich maneuver, and Arnie starts freaking out. Uh, He almost seems jealous, and it seems very sexual. It's a very sexual Heimlich maneuver. You don't remember that?
2: Oh, I remember. Yeah, it was
1: weird. He's like thrusting and grunting, and they're both, you know.
2: And then it just abruptly cuts off. Like it wasn't like a thank you so much. Like there was no resolution. He just like Heimlich'd her, and then it was like next scene.
0: It was very weird. It's a weird, weird week for sexuality. There's no boobs. No, but oh, there's a no lot boobs. of talk about boobs. But also like a lot of bullying. Like I think we get a lot of king this week where there's a lot of like Carrie and over overarching king tropes where he will bring in bullying to things. Yeah, big and, king, that's a big king thing. And he'll bring in like bad parents. Like king I I, I don't I've I've never known like what kings like Parents were like yeah but they couldn't have been great because I mean most of his stuff has this like overarching bullying and bad parenting
1: I think that's one of the secrets to King's success and why so many kids like us grew up reading reading novels that were ahead of our of our age group because Stephen King seems to really understand that the loser outsider kid um, and just, doesn't have the good parents and has the bullies at school, stand by me. I mean, you go right down through the whole yep. King catalog. That's always kind of an element in there. I think that's one of the reasons why so many young kids started reading Stephen King and connected to it. Like everything, reading reading these King stories, you always felt like you were that kid. And it, it helped if you were in Maine too, because you know that's where it was all set. So mm. I think that's like part of his success.
3: Also another part-time Mainer, RIP Kelly Preston.
1: Yes, Travolta's
3: yes. wife, who I always thought in the '80s was quite the heartthrob. Yeah,
1: uh, I love the opening. This movie opens where you have the logo, the Christine logo, mm. just on a black background, and the revving of the engine. It sounds like a growl. It sounds yes. like a rabid mm. dog. Yeah. <laughs>
3: the opening of both of these movies is great. Like the title yeah. sequence is very powerful.
1: Uh, along with the car regeneration, I'd say the other most iconic car scene in this is when christine is fully aflame driving mm. when it busts <laughs> yeah. out of that garage and it is totally on fire is driving down the road chasing the middle-aged uh, bully so mm. good
0: 100 percent practical
1: so good yeah the guy driving that car w- had to drive it while it was on fire he wore like a flame retardant suit apparently. that was a tesla i believe Sure. <laughs> that was an early early tesla <laughs> they definitely used more cars in this than they used dogs in cujo i know that i think it was up to like 40 cars in this form.
2: and it you know it ends like the opposite of cujo where it's like leaves a little is what's gonna happen kind of a thing you know the little the little twin the little thing
1: oh the end great of yeah oh, so good. yeah it's a classic 30. great job these are both classic movies in my opinion uh, i don't think we said where kuja was these are both at the at the moment they both seem to be vod they go on and off both of these are on and off like hbo hulu whatever but i think we all had a rental <laughs> what's next week uh well next week is uh jen wexler and heather buckley another uh special guest episode jen wexler director and co-writer of The Ranger, which is on Shudder right now. From 2018, Heather Buckley was a producer on The Ranger. They both have done a ton of other stuff. Jen Wexler is uh, working on a new movie. They're in post-production called The Sacrifice Game. It's going to be a Shudder original, but they both, uh, Jen works for Glass Eye Picks, has produced movies like Depraved, Larry Fesden directed, Psychopaths, Most Beautiful Island, Darling, tons of stuff. Really looking forward to uh, talking to both of them.